Dusty, have you ever gone on a hunting trip? Well, yeah. You pack all your stuff. Let's say you're driving to New Hampshire. Let's say I'm driving to Ohio, and you're hunting for four, five, six days. What's the biggest challenge you usually have? You're going to stop multiple times and get gas, and I, I worry about odor the whole way. It's always in the back of your head. After talking to our friend Tim Gothier, we realized that there's a better solution that is portable, and that solution is called the Scentlock Enforcer. This nifty little device about the size of an iPhone, it produces ozone. Ozone is this naturally occurring O3 molecule that actually naturally removes odors, kills bacteria, binds to all kinds of odor particles in the air, and basically makes you scent-free instead of like a scent cover-up. Does that make sense? Yeah, for sure. You can put this in your toe. It operates off of a USB and has an eight-hour battery life. It's the personal ozone generator. It is the personal ozone generator. If you want to check it out, go to scentlockenforcer.com. That's S-C-E-N-T-L-O-K enforcer.com. Big Buck Registry's Deer Hunting Podcast, episode number 167. Jared Scheffler, a monster public land Kansas whitetail. The Hunt. Please support our sponsors as they make this show possible. Today's show is sponsored by the Scentlock Enforcer and Morse's Sporting Goods. Big Buck Registry is a virtual museum of hunting stories. We preserve a piece of Americana by interviewing and recording hunters about their hunts and experiences from across the country. And who knows, maybe we'll learn a thing or two along the way that'll help us take our hunt to the next level. Hey guys, this is Dan Bass with Coonan Archery, the Tyneman, and inventor of the Hang On Helper. You're listening to my favorite show. It's about to be yours. Big Buck Registry's Deer Hunting Podcast. Hey, this is Dr. Ken Nordberg. You're listening to my favorite podcast on the internet, Big Buck Registry Deer Hunting Podcast. I'm Tim Gothier with Scentlock Enforcer, and you're about ready to push play on my favorite podcast, Big Buck Registry Deer Hunting Podcast. Hey, welcome back to the Big Buck Registry's Deer Hunting Podcast. My name is Jay, and I don't know if you've tuned in before, but if you are a new listener, I want to say thank you for pushing that play button and hanging out with us for an hour or so, and maybe even listening to our back catalog to find out what all those amazing deer hunters do when they go in the deer woods so you can do it too. I am joined by my good friend and co-host Dusty Phillips from Ohio. As usual, Dusty, how's it going? Oh, it's going great, Jay. Yeah, thank you for everybody for tuning in with us week after week. And man, if you're a new listener, boy, you've got a lot of listening to do if you go backlog our shows. We have... 167 shows as of the air date of this show, and there's a lot of them. And admittedly, and, and Dusty, I think you'll back me up on this, that our first show was not as good as this show, or as they have been over for the last couple of years, because you got to start somewhere. It's like taking the young buck and little spike buck, and, and we've matured into a world-class whitetail, Jay. I'm a more, little bit more humble. I don't know if we're quite the, the massive whitetail, but I'm... Um, I know we're better than we used to be. Let's put it that way. For sure. We've got some amazing 
backers, some sponsors between USA Trail Cams and Scentlock Enforcer, which is our newest member to the family. Thank you, Tim Gothier, for jumping on board with the Big Buck Registry Deer Hunting Podcast. We're just looking forward to a great deer season. We have some great sponsors behind us, and this is going to be an, another amazing show by one of the most talented deer hunters I know who does it in a very, very pure form. And that's Jared Scheffler from Whitetail Adrenaline. We're going to hear all about his Kansas whitetail. One of the things I wanted to highlight right now is that we have many listeners. And you can listen to the show on many different platforms. You can listen to us on Google Play. You can listen to us on iHeartRadio. You can listen to us on Apple iTunes. You can listen to us on Stitcher. And now you can listen to the whole show on YouTube. So there's five different major platforms that you can use to consume this show. And if you would, please go leave us a review if you haven't done so already, because it helps us understand where you're coming from and what you need, what you want to hear on this show. And speaking of that, we had a couple of emails sent in, and you can always email us, jay or dusty at bigbuckregistry.com. And we just get some feedback now and then from listeners out there. And I have one from Austin Schweitzer. Austin writes, Hey, Jay and Dusty, I stumbled upon your podcast last week, and man, I can't get enough of it. I have been listening to it every day while I'm at work. With archery season in Pennsylvania coming up in a couple weeks, it's getting me more excited than ever. I find myself writing down tips that I can apply to my style of hunting. I love all the guests that you guys get for the show. It's such a breath of fresh air to hear from the pros as well as the average hunter like me. I just wanted to say, hey, and keep up the great work. I just got the app and plan to tune in every week. You guys seem like awesome people, and I hope I can meet up with you guys at some point and swap stories. Good luck this season and be safe. Austin Schweitzer. Yeah, I appreciate that, Austin. That was great, Austin. Thank you so much for the feedback. And he makes a good point. We don't just interview the celebrity hunter. We, we find the talented hunter that nobody's ever heard of, and we put them on this show because they're just as valuable to the community when they share their techniques and strategies as anybody. Yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely something that we, we, we're capable of doing, and, and we switch it up, and we, we chase down the average guy, and, and the celebrity hunter joins us now and then also. So it's kind of a great mix, and you know we, we want to hear from everybody, not just celebrities or or the average Joes, we, we we want to hear from female hunters and male hunters and young kids and you know disabled and veterans and it's it's just an all great experience. Everybody, Jay, we've got another email here from Gus Mazza. Gus says, "Hey Jay and Dusty, you guys have a great show, and I'm so happy I found your podcast last year. I've learned so much from that, and I feel better prepared for this hunting season. I wanted to share that I've hunted with Tim and his brothers in the same great outfitter in Kansas." I've become friends with them throughout the years, sharing success and our misses together in camp. They are the salt of the earth and could not be so lucky to have met them. Regards, Gus Mazza. Thanks, Gus, for emailing in. And, man, we're sure glad you found us also. And we appreciate you tuning in with us every week. Yeah, thank you, Gus. That was It's always good to hear from, from people that are listening to the show. We, we know we get a lot of downloads. Uh, we're certainly uh, breaking our own records every single month, and, and thank you for that. But it is nice to hear from folks listening to the show, so keep it up. We'd love to hear more from you guys as you listen to the show. And just give us some feedback. Tell us what you like or don't like, or maybe there's a guest out there. We certainly get some, some ideas for guests from you as you listen to the show and say, hey, you know what, that this guy or this gal would be a really good addition to the show because I know that they have a few uh, techniques and strategies that they apply to their deer woods that 
I bet nobody's heard about. Those are the types of stories we're looking for. Speaking of, of great news, uh, let's turn to Jim Keller with the Deer News. For the Big Buck Registry, this is Jim Keller with the Deer News. Our first story this week, 70 deer vasectomies on Staten Island so far. This story was originally featured on the SILive.com website and was written by Anna Sanders. A city contractor performed 70 vasectomies on male deer in the first seven nights of a three-year effort to cut the white-tailed deer herd on Staten Island, officials said. Anthony DeNicola and his team at White Buffalo have ear-tagged 75 total deer so far, including five females. Those doe and five of the sterilized bucks were also given radio collars. The city will use these trackers to assess population dynamics, including deer mortality and birth rates. The sterilized deer were baited with whole kernel corn and captured with tranquilizer darts. They were released after the 15-minute surgery. The effort is expected to eventually reduce the borough herd 10 to 30 percent. The state approved the city's vasectomy plan last month as part of a three-year research study. This year, the Parks Department is paying White Buffalo and Dina Cola $2 million for their work. The state doesn't recommend fertility control programs to manage deer because they are expensive and have shown limited effectiveness. But Dina Cola and park officials have said sterilization was chosen because the city believes Staten Island's herd is mostly growing through reproduction, not migration. Sterilizing males instead of females is meant to be faster, cheaper, and more humane. What's the deal with DEET? This topic is one I thought would be on everyone's mind as we head into the woods for the early season. It is, in part, based on an article written by Mike Rakovics on OutdoorNews.com. Many parts of the Midwest are experiencing a massive hatch of tiny mosquitoes late in the summer. The fear of West Nile or Zika virus is creating a greater concern about mosquito bites than in years past. But at the same time, controversy over the safety of insect repellents is bound to cause some people to wonder which is less dangerous or annoying, going outdoors without the bite protection or going with it. These include, but are not limited to, smoke, citronella, some Avon products, and products containing the chemical diethyl metatolumide, commonly referred to as DEET. DEET was developed by the U.S. government in 1951 after testing over 11,000 compounds for their effectiveness in repelling insects. DEET has been the major ingredient in nearly all insect repellents since then, and no other substance has been found to be more effective in keeping biting insects at bay. According to the EPA, nearly 100 million Americans use DEET every year, and according to the agency, fewer than 10 reports of adverse side effects are received annually. Most of these reported side effects stem from repeated use on children, something which manufacturers strongly advise against. Make no mistake, DEET is a chemical that can cause problems if applied excessively, especially to children, but then again, the same can be said for aspirin. Manufacturers of insect repellent products containing DEET say when label directions are followed carefully, DEET poses no health problems. They base their statement by citing 22 studies conducted on the short and long-term health effects of DEET, which indicate no unreasonable adverse effects to people or the environment. According to the EPA, the benefits of mosquito repellency may far outweigh any risk from DEET exposure. Some people prefer citronella-based products because they are safe. Citronella not only repels bugs, it's often used as a flavoring agent in beverages, desserts, candy, baked goods, and even breakfast cereal, but it is not effective for repelling ticks. DEET is often sold and used in spray or lotion in concentrations up to 100%. Consumer Report magazine found a direct correlation between DEET concentration and hours of protection against insect bites. 100% DEET was found to offer up to 12 hours of protection. 20 to 34% DEET offered 3 to 6 hours. 3 to 6 hours of protection. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention recommends 30 to 50% DEET to prevent the spread of pathogens carried by insects. As a precaution, manufacturers advise that DEET products should not be used under clothing or on damaged skin and that preparations be washed off 
after they are no longer needed or between applications. DEET can act as an irritant. In rare cases, it may cause severe skin reactions. Other symptoms that can occur are breathing difficulty, burning eyes, and headaches. When used as directed, products containing between 10 and 30% DEET have been found by the American Academy of Pediatrics to be safe to use on children as well as adults, but recommends that DEET not be used on infants less than two months old. Hopefully this information will help as you head out into the woods this season. Help create Minnesota's first ever deer plan. This story was originally featured on the DeerFriendly.com website. Applications are open for citizens interested in serving on a statewide deer management plan advisory committee that will provide guidance, input, and feedback beginning this December and continuing through the planning process. The committee's recommendations, along with broader public input, will help DNR develop its first-ever deer management plan, which will provide strategic guidance on deer management into the future. 20 citizens will serve on the statewide committee. Approximately two-thirds of seats will be filled by invited representatives of hunting, agriculture, conservation, forestry, and other organizations. Five to seven at-large seats are available to any interested citizens who wish to apply. Priority will be given to applicants who demonstrate a willingness to work collaboratively with others from diverse perspectives and who have knowledge of deer management issues in Minnesota. The committee is expected to meet approximately monthly for 46 hours per meeting between December 2016 and December 2017. Meetings typically will be conducted during daytime business hours on weekdays at a central location such as St. Cloud and other locations of the committee's choosing. Interested applicants may complete an online application by 11 p.m. on Wednesday, October 19. 2016. For links to this story, including links to the committee's charter and the application, as well as other stories featured this week, please check our show notes at www.bigbuckregistry.com. That concludes this week's edition of the Big Buck Registry's Deer News. If you have any ideas for future topics or have questions about any of these topics, please email me at jim at bigbuckregistry.com. For the Big Buck Registry, this is Jim Keller with the Deer News. Thanks to Jim Keller with the Deer News. Without further ado, here's Jared Scheffler. Jared Scheffler, welcome back to the Big Buck Registry's Deer Hunting Podcast. What's happening, my friend? Oh, you know, I'm just trying to get ready for the season here. Keep my head above water. Thanks for having me, Jay. Hey, no problem. So, so what do you do to plan for the season? I know you're leaving here in a little bit to go hunt for the rest of, of 2016, but what are you doing right now to get ready? Well, well, you know, you would think, of, you know, somebody that makes hunting videos would, you know, be like looking at aerials and all that kind of stuff, like... You know, getting geared up for the hunt in that way. Yeah. But, but I, I, I honestly haven't done that at all. You know, it's just like, you know, getting new camera equipment, and figuring out how you're going to mount everything up. And we just got done with this, the new videos here a few weeks ago, and so that's been a mad rush, shipping and getting a hold of stores and getting all the orders out. And there, there's a lot to it that. I, I could probably make a really good video off of that, everything alone. I mean, one day you're welding stuff, one day you're researching, you know, what formats and what codecs you're going to record to and and what camera equipment's going to work for our type of production where it's, like, filmed all on the fly because a lot yeah. of the stuff nowadays is more geared for, you know, setting up and changing lenses and things like that that really wouldn't work too good in our application and, uh so it's just you're constantly shifting gears between different things, and you know, like I've only shot my my longbow. Well, I had some shoulder issues here for okay. the better part of this year, okay. and uh, I actually didn't shoot, wasn't able to shoot the bow from April until just a couple of weeks ago, and whatever it was went away. Hmm. And uh, so I've only I've only gotten like four or five shooting sessions in. 
Uh, wasn't real good the first couple, but I shot again last night for a little bit, and uh, I, I feel like uh, you know I'm uh, I'm I'm pro- I'm I'm all right. I'm not. I'm not right. I've never been a crack shot, but you know I I feel you know pretty pretty close to where I was last year. Maybe not quite there yet, but okay. although last year, for anybody that's watched the videos. It doesn't say it doesn't speak too much too highly, I guess. But, <laughs> but it was kind of a rough year. But I did I did feel the most confident I had ever felt going into last year. I shot a lot. I had, you know, I guess I shouldn't say I had a lot more time, but I carved out a little bit more time throughout the edit stages and stuff. But this was a huge project we were working on, and with my shoulder the way it was and everything, I uh, I just wasn't able to this year. So gotcha. So, so uh, is, uh... yeah, most of what I'm getting ready for is just like all the all the gear and and camera gear and all that kind of stuff and and honestly like i uh i have not looked at one map or anything or or whatnot <laughs> so uh which 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 isn't always necessarily a bad thing you know a lot of people uh they feel like they got to know all the details or about exactly where they're going to be hunting and all of that and mm-hmm. what i've learned over the years is when you're doing a do-it-yourself hunt, like a public land uh, hunt, like what we do, a lot of times all that pre-gaming you do can actually emotionally attach you to that idea that this spot's going to be productive or that spot's going to be productive. And then you get there and there might be other hunters or the spot might be dead. And you have a harder time actually walking away from it. Whereas a guy like me showing up that has no previous, you know, uh, I haven't been looking at this piece and imagining things for the last three, four months or whatever. I have no attachment to it. So when I get there, I see, oh, it's hot. if it's hot, I'm sticking around. If it's cold, I can toss it. Like, I don't have a lot of investment in it, if that kind of makes sense. So, I mean... Ultimately, if you could if you could invest some time into into you know some of that and and still be able to walk away from it at the snap of your fingers when it is cold, well then you you'd, you'd be one up on on my strategy, I guess. So, but uh, that makes sense. So it, it's yeah. not the end of the world. No, it's. I mean, I think getting attached to to a particular piece of property can be detrimental in a lot of ways. And I think you're right. I think you have to. If you're just definitely, if you're doing public, you have to shift with you know, with the elements. And the elements could be the hunters. It could be uh, pressure. It could be uh, just that the the spot is not anything what you thought it was. Uh, and you have to be able to move on quickly to make the most of your time where you're going. So I, exactly. Yeah, makes sense. Where are you going exactly? What's the plan? Well, uh, first off, I'm going to leave next Tuesday and uh, head out to Wyoming. Uh, my cousin Jim drew a Wyoming deer tag, so we're going to try to film a, film a whitetail hunt early season there for about four days. And then from there, I'm going to head to, I think, Idaho for elk. And, uh, and then from there, I've got a Montana deer and elk license because i applied for one didn't get drawn but they send you a general tag and and i have no idea where i'm going to go yet there okay um and so uh i did do idaho last year i didn't get one and i also did colorado for elk none of that footage from the bow stuff was on any of the videos we're kind of i'm hoping to get enough footage this year to put together uh like a elk uh elk bow video so that's my that's my goal, separate from the whitetail stuff. You got a plan. You're heading out, uh, getting ready for this coming season. You've got it kind of lined out, but you're not really making plans because, as m- more than I think anybody we've ever had on the show, you are actually 
a, a fly by the seat of your pants kind of hunter in a sense that not that you're 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 not uh, looking for certain things, but you understand that things change quickly and you could scrap the whole hunt in a heartbeat um, because that's just what the elements are telling you, and you move on. Correct. And we talked Correct. about that uh, on the last show. Yeah, yeah. In fact, you know, I I mentioned here I I got that Montana elk and deer. Uh, combo license you know and that's an expensive license it's an eleven hundred dollar license you know and i got plans to go to colorado in there and and like i mentioned idaho you know i might end up spending two days in montana and scrapping the whole thing if i feel like it's going to restrict me from getting something somewhere else if it's if it's not going well and and you know maybe i'd give it a little bit more time if i wasn't filming but I don't think I would anymore because I I do understand sometimes you just got to cut your losses and and uh, I'm hoping I can I can do well there but I bow hunted for elk in Colorado last year and uh, got into them fairly well after after being there a week I finally figured out what was going on or at that time I did it could all change this year of course but you know that's just an example there uh, a few years ago five years ago. Uh, Shay and I, we drove through the night, got to Missouri, never been there before and, uh, hunted for a day, saw a lot of deer, didn't see much, didn't really see anything for decent caliber deer. We checked out a new area the next morning and, uh, you know, it was probably around the 20, 20th of October and we, we pretty much knew that our timing was off and we knew that going to do it. We just had, we just had plans for November. We we knew that that would be better for Missouri, but, but, uh, we ended up driving that day all the way back to Wisconsin and got back with enough time to get into a piece. And I shot a 140 class nine pointer that night. And, uh, the next day we, we didn't know how the shot was. So the next day we followed up, we got the deer out and the following night, we went into a brand new piece we'd never been into before, and then Shay got one. And, and that was an example right there of we scra- even, okay, it's, it sucked. We both bought licenses for Missouri. We drove down there, realized, hey, this is cold. Let's. I feel like we could be a lot more productive in the next four or five days of time that we have if we turn around and go right back to Wisconsin, where we came from. Gotcha. So okay. um, that was an example right there. There you go. Of... Uh, of, uh, you know, just being adaptable, realizing, okay, it's not, it, it, my general rule of thumb is if I'm not feeling it, I'm turning and burning, you know, and maybe I'll come back. Maybe I realize this spot is terrible. Like I'm never coming back to it. And maybe I feel like I'm a week too early, or maybe I feel like I'm too late for it, you know, and I'll keep it in the back of my head. Maybe next year, maybe I'll hit it a little bit earlier. You know, every piece is different. Um, but, uh, if it's not hot right then, and and that goes for each day, you know, we hunt strictly on the ground. Um, and I love doing that. And one of the reasons that I love doing that is because you can adapt so quick, so fast to what the deer are doing. You know, if the activity is, you know, one day it was hot, we were in here the next day it's cold and we can sunset in an hour that this spot is, you know, turned right off. We can, we can move out of there. We can pull out so quick and easy right. and get to the next spot or get to a different part of that same acreage. Um, so, uh, you know, I mean, if whitetails were, you know, if spots stayed hot for long periods of time and, and uh, you know, and whitetails were really as patternable as we, we want want them to be, we'd all be shooting big bucks all the time. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, and they just right. aren't. They're They're constantly changing. They're constantly... You know, and it, it could be like what you mentioned. It could be pressure. It could be, 
you know, different crop, maybe acorns dropped, whatever it might be. It could be anything, but being adaptable is definitely what allows us to get on, you know, a right. pretty good, decent number of, of good caliber public land deer every year. Right. Yeah, they're they're not robots. They're not pre-programmed. We kind of sometimes I think we pretend like they are, but they're not. They're they're completely mm-hmm. variable items. They're going to outwit you or out do do something completely different than you had anticipated each and every time for the most part. Right. Um, for the most part. Right. For the most part. Every now and again, you'll find a deer that is fairly patternable if the situation's right and everything. Mm-hmm. But but uh, for the most part, yeah, they're they're not that not that predictable. Right. Yeah, sometimes you get lucky, but the, generally speaking, you you don't don't plan on it completely. So, it's been almost 2 years and almost 100 episodes ago that we last spoke, Jared. And <laughs> that show was entitled Snooking for Whitetails. And Oh you, yeah, that's right. Remember that? So, I wa- I was wondering <laughs> yes, if, I if you could define snooking for me. Just so everybody could understand who hasn't listened to episode number 69, by the way, if you want to go back into the archives and find it, uh, what snooking is to you. Snooking is sneaking and looking at yeah. the same time. You're sneaking and you're looking. You're snooking. There you go. Snooking. <laughs> so, and and yeah. that's that's why yeah. we called it snooking. So a lot has happened, Jared, since the last time we spoke. Um, you've, you've made some great DVDs. I absolutely love your DVDs, by the way. They're just some of my favorite deer hunting DVDs on on the planet, and I can't think of anybody that really adapts to public land hunting like you do. Um, and to boot, you're you're not using. I mean, you have used firearms in the past, and if I recall, you you kind of kind of gave up on the firearm and turned to the bow, and not just the bow, but it's, it was more or less the longbow at this point. But uh, there were some. I don't know if you shot the recurve in between. But um, the, yeah, I guess you know it's not that I don't don't like hunting with a gun i mean we hunt with a gun every year but mainly i i run the camera at that time of the year right um i you know overall yes i prefer bow hunting um i do like you know getting a few buddies together having a good time um it's a good change of pace coming out of the bow stuff and uh and i do enjoy that um but uh overall i mean i I do prefer hunting with a bow for sure so but but i will say this you know a lot of people think hunting deer or hunting a big buck with a with a gun is easier but in my opinion i can spend i spend less time getting on a big buck with a bow than i do a big buck with a gun Hmm. on public land you know and that's all i've hunted for what since 07 i guess right so but you know every situation is different but a lot of times i think what happens is, is by the time the bow season's done uh a lot of those mature deer are pressured off of the uh, off of the public, yeah. and so and the few that are there that are still left are probably really savvy and really sneaky. So there's a lot a lot of legwork that goes into to getting a big buck on public land right. with the with a gun. Gotcha. So, so, in my experience, so tell me why you shoot the longbow today as opposed to the compound or even the recurve. What's behind that? Well. There, there, there's been a, there's been a joke. I've always, I've always said that I was missing them so well with a compound before I figured I might as well just do it with a longbow. <laughs> and th- there's a little bit of truth to that, but there's more to it than that. Um, it, 2011 was the last year that I hunted with a compound. And, uh, that was the year that I killed that one that I spoke about where we drove back from Missouri. And, uh, and after that, I also missed three big bucks in a row. Hmm. 
And um, I think it was September of that year, going into that year, or going into that season, a friend of mine had a recurve. And uh, I spent, uh, oh, probably about an hour shooting it. And I hadn't shot one since I was probably about 15, one of my dad's bears that were laying around the farm. And uh, and uh, so my friend put that put that recurve in my hand and I just, I just loved it. And I, I could see the potential of it being a very effective weapon for how we hunted. And then what ended up happening is I missed those three big bucks. And, uh, I realized right away, all, all three of the, the, the bucks I missed. And this happens a lot when you're hunting on the ground, like how we do and in pretty exposed situations, you know, we, it's, we're hunting white tails on the ground, but there's not a ground blind i mean or anything a lot or never but i mean sometimes there's hardly any cover at all is what i'm trying to say to to hide you and the guy that's behind you filming so you got two guys there and a lot of times you're you're uh by the time you're releasing an arrow that deer already knows you're there and uh it gets really intense and mistakes can happen and uh some of the advantages to the longbow are you know i've in my experience of what i've kind of noticed is is i'd say about the average time to draw a compound and fire that arrow is about four seconds Hmm. you you, if you practice it a lot you can get pretty good at about three seconds some guys might be able to pull it off a touch earlier there than that um but but for the average guy probably somewhere between three and four seconds closer to four and that's a long time when you're talking about a mature deer that it's locked onto you and most of the time, if they're locked on to you by that and they're getting, they're about at the point, if, if they have sat around for three, four seconds, they're about at the point where they're probably, you know, they're on pins and needles and they're probably about ready to, to evacuate. And so when you do send that arrow, their reaction is usually pretty, uh, pretty substantial, you know, and oftentimes it's hard to predict. Are they going to drop 10 inches? Are they going to drop 14 inches? Are they going to take a step forward to take off to run? What are they going to do? Um, and you know, the, the arrow speed of a longbow is slower. You know, my arrow kicks out at about 180 feet per second. It is a 660 grain arrow, which is a lot of weight, but, but it really doesn't take that much longer for the arrow to actually get there. But I can shoot that bow in less than a second from the time I draw to, to release is, is less than a second. Hmm. And that's a lot faster. And I can shoot that bow really low to the ground. I can, uh, you know, I, I got this position, I call it a, the cat-like position, and basically I'm just crouched down to the ground, and, and they, they, they can't even tell that you're a human. They, they might see you, but they don't even know, they can't even tell because your whole upper body isn't the, the shape of a human anymore. Your, your head's not upright like you'd have to be when you're shooting a compound. So right. you can also be, a, you, you can stay a little, little more hidden. You, you do give up some, some long range, you know, shooting, you know, uh, you know where we've shot, gear out to 60 or mid 60 yards and some guys you know have pulled off quite a bit longer shots than that not not any of us but they're it's capable of the compound whereas of the longbow you know general generally you're going to be in that 20 to 30 yards as a as typically about a max but some guys can push it further than that um so but i mean two years ago i got that big velvet deer i don't think i'd ever gotten a shot with a compound um and i wish the I wish the camera, when it all unfolded, I wish the camera would have been a little bit further behind where you could have seen how we were crouched in the grass to, to be able to really see how low profile we had to stay. And that deer was 
knew something was up. He didn't have his peg, but he knew something was up. And, and, uh, I, I would have had to been upright to, to pull the, off the shot with a compound. He, I, I know he would have picked, picked us off if I had a metal right. So, I mean, that's a situation right there. And the older the deer, the more mature the deer, um, the less they're going to tolerate too. So, gotcha. yeah, so do you, that's a, that's a few reasons why I, I guess, and I do like it. I mean, it's, it's, it's fun. It's cool. I mean, it's a, it's a cool experience when you're drawing that bow all on your instinct and releasing it and, and sending that arrow. I mean, it's a really cool feeling. So heck yeah, it is. Do you end up making your own arrows as well, or do no? You... I'm not that talented. Not that talented. All right. <laughs> I was wondering, like how, like how involved you get. I mean, this it sounds like you know. Anytime I hear that somebody's shooting a longbow, I'm like, wow, this guy's a purist. But but they're obviously you can buy longbows, and you just wonder kind of how far in, involved you get. And I yeah, that's why I asked the question. It's curious. Very interesting. I I haven't gotten that involved. I think down the road I probably will if I uh, or if I had more time right now, you know, depending on where my life leads me down the road, I I probably will get more involved. You know, I I mean maybe someday I'll I'll build my own longbow. I don't do that. Um, maybe someday I'll I'll build my my own wood arrows and all that. I shoot carbons right, right. now, um, and I shoot you know just your you, you know a really good two blade head. Um, but, uh, I do have some stone points and some, some wood arrows. I didn't make them. I, I have a buddy that, uh, made some and maybe someday I'll, I'll try that just, just probably on one deer, the, the flint. I, I think that'd be, you know, kind of neat to shoot a deer with, right. with the old flint, flint nap heads. And, and so, yeah, that's cool. Very, very cool. I, I wanted to kind of bring everybody up to speed with you and your adventures with whitetail adrenaline. When we last left off, obviously we did the, the snooking for whitetails, but we had, there was this amazing event that occurred this past season in Kansas and you shot this um, just monster buck with your, your longbow, I believe. Correct. And correct. Th- th- this, it's a fascinating story. It's a heck of a deer. And I want to try to put together the entire uh, background on how this all came to be. Because I, I believe that if we go back further enough, we'll probably start somewhere where we're starting tonight with you trying to pack up all your gear and figure out Codex and all that stuff. And I don't know what the whole story is, and I actually haven't and deliberately have not gone and, and read up on this other than I've seen a picture. So I don't, I have okay. not, I don't know a darn thing about the hunt other than I know what happened. So I'm going to, and, sure. and, and I wanted to leave it that way because I want my mind to wander as we go through this story with you. And Dusty, I want you to jump in here too. And, and we can kind of, kind of go off on some tangents here and figure out what Jared was thinking at the time certain events occurred prior to this, this big monster Kansas whitetail going down. Oh, no doubt about it. We're definitely going to go off on some tangents. Yes. All right. So, Jared, paint this picture for me. Where, where did this all develop? How did this plan come together? Well, um, I, I'll briefly go back to 2012. Okay. And that, uh, that season was the first season that I hunted with the longbow. And uh, we stumbled onto this area in Kansas. It was wide open. I mean, no trees, no brush, uh, extremely short grass. Sometimes it's not any taller than your lawn. Um, and, and most of the time it's less than knee high tall grass. Um, and, uh, that was the year the EHD hit and I had hunted Kansas the year before, uh, in a different area. 
and uh, I was coming down from Nebraska, and I wanted to check out some other stuff in case the EHD had hit this area where I had been the year before. Okay. And I had I saw the landscape, and I saw how desolate it was, and it was the middle of the day, and uh, it was one of those deals where I uh, I told my buddy that I was with, I said, uh, you know what? I, I said there could be some giant whitetails out here. You know, but I said, I don't want to stick around all day to to find out. Let's go down to this other area where I was last year. If that's if that's ice cold in the next day or two, or if we decide tomorrow, then we can always come back and check this out further. I threw the map in the back seat and we made it about a mile. <laughs> and there stood probably the, at the time, the biggest typical I had ever seen. And uh, that deer probably, he, he had a little bit smaller side on the one side, but but he probably would have been close to 200 inches as a five by five. And ironically, he was standing on public, a piece of walk-in hunting area with a doe about 150 yards off the road. And I mean, the grass there was eight inches tall, a whopping eight inches tall. And it's like, how the heck are we going to get close to this thing? And we had built a a, a decoy that year because when I was hunting the other area, I could see the potential of maybe having something like that, a decoy that we could hide behind. And uh, we put together a game plan, and long story short, uh, the decoy ended up spooking the doe out, which took him away. I got within probably 80 to 100 yards of him. But that whole deal and that whole season, we ended up getting one good buck, and we got on some other big bucks. Never saw that specific deer again. But but we kind of started to chip at the strategy and and our approach for hunting this these deer in this type of setting. Okay. Um, there, there, there's nobody else I've ever seen out there bow hunting this stuff. Interesting. In, in the four or five seasons, not not in any of this open country. I mean, it's it's that open. I've seen guys with with tree stands and stuff in the back of their pickups that I you know, they must be bow hunting, but I only see their vehicle for about a day, and I think they are like, what are, what are we going to do with this? Okay. And, and, I mean, it's a it's a very mentally draining hunt. Um, it's not uncommon for us to spend three solid days in the vehicle and never get out of it and put on eight 900 miles on gravel roads. I mean, 300-plus miles a day are pretty common wow. out there in that type of country. Because okay. um, you're not getting out of the vehicle until you spot get a visual because there's really no point. I mean, if I can look at 160 acres of knee high grass, I can pretty well see if there's a deer out there or not. Now, once you have one spotted, then it's like, okay, how can we, you know, a lot of times they're really gun shy. You know, if they're within a quarter mile of the road, they might already be running without you ever stopping the vehicle. You definitely don't want to stop the vehicle within a half a mile of them because they will most of the time run. So it's, that's the next stage is once you do spot a big one and he's on public, then you got to figure out, okay, how can we, you know, not alert him while we're in the vehicle here and get the vehicle parked in a spot where he's not going to see it and, and make our strategy from there. So there's a, there's a lot to it. It's a very frustrating hunt. It's a very mentally draining hunt. And it is very physical once you have to get out of the vehicle because you, you might end up crawling for 200 yards right. on your hands and knees to, right. to, 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 to uh, get within a hundred yards and the doe that he might be with decides, you know what? I don't like your decoy setup. I'm out of here. Right. And then there you go back to the vehicle and you know that it might be two days before you get out of the vehicle again. So it's a very mentally draining hunt. Okay. Um, Dusty, did you have a question you want to, I can't get Jared to slow up for a second. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Go ahead, Dusty. Sorry. <laughs> now just, uh, try and get a better visual. Now when you say it's 
you know, eight-inch grass. What is it? Just uh, field grass or prairie grass? What are we talking about? It's it's mainly just prairie grass, and and most of it's walk-in hunting area. So it's it's privately owned, and the state leases it. So they're I mean, sometimes they got cattle, sometimes they got horses, sometimes they got winter wheat. That's you know the the length of your grass that's growing out there. It, gotcha. it, um, you know, occasionally we, we find a piece where there is a little bit taller grass, you know, might be waist high or, or, or whatnot, but for the most part, usually it's pretty, pretty short, desolate stuff. Is, is there fences that border these properties or what, you guys have to go through gates? Tell us a little bit more detail of how you're getting around. Yeah, there's, there's, there's really never any gates. Um, usually, well, a lot of times there's some sort of fence line, but not always. Sometimes it's just an imaginary line, and uh, there's there's no line fence at all in, in some situations. And we've well, and and the reason for that is is you know, and I, I don't dig into this, but because it's walk-in, it's very likely that the same landowner owns the next part of that land, and he just didn't enroll that in the program. And you know, years ago they ripped out the fence line, and so it's imagine it's an imaginary line there, kind of where it is. Usually, about every quarter mile, I think it is, they'll have like a fence post or something with a sign on it. But I mean, it's pretty square. Usually, the parcels are square, so you, you don't. I mean, it's not really hard to to know whether it's it. You're not going to get turned around out there or anything like that. I mean, you'll know if you're on it or off it. Um, so. Gotcha. Yeah, I was just curious, uh, just just because of the fact that if it's posted public walk-in and, and you get off of that, uh, then what? Yeah, then you'd probably get in some trouble. Gotcha. Okay. Gotcha. <laughs> gotcha. So your your story with this buck starts in 2012, three years prior to the actual. That, well, that that actually wasn't that actually wasn't the same buck. Okay. That that was a different buck, but what that did is. That buck, and there was a couple other really big ones we saw that year, we knew we have to figure out a way to hunt these deer in this type of type of terrain. Gotcha. No matter how difficult it is, these big deer are here, we got to figure out how we can hunt them. So that kind of set the tone for it, okay. I guess. And, and every year, you know, since then, we've seen at least a 160 caliber deer. Usually we see at least a couple in the 170 cl- class or, or close to it out there but here again you got to remember i mean we we put on a lot of miles on those gravel roads and you know drive the car a half mile stop glass and sometimes we spot these deer from a mile mile and a half we've spotted them two miles out sometimes um you know uh there's a there's a lot of glassing and a lot of sitting in a vehicle on gravel roads that happens all day long so um they're visible but you know i mean you got. You also got to remember, we we condense everything down into a, a video. Well, you know, it might be an hour section of our video, and it might feel like there's big bucks running everywhere, but that's condensed down from you know eight, nine, ten days of being out there and pushing really hard. So. Gotcha. All right. So the land, you noticed that there are some unusually large bucks on this property. So that's what drew you to this this place. Yeah, that that general area. Okay. Yeah. You're like, okay, we got to figure this this out. That we need to crack this code. Mm-hmm. All right. So, at what point did you start to engage with this particular buck? Okay. Well, the first time that uh, for for this last season with this big deer, uh, my buddy Chancy is the first. We've been friends a long time. It was the first hunt that we we got to do together. And Shay didn't draw the tag for there this, this last year, and so I. Uh, 
Chancey and I had, and so we were doing the hunt together, and um, it was on day two. We spotted this uh, this giant buck, and, uh, you know, we knew 170. We, we thought probably closer to 180, um, and he was on private. And uh, the closest public was about three-quarters of a mile from where from where he he was and uh it was one of those deals where it's like you know that happens a lot out there most of the time when you see a big buck he's on private land and you know you might see him again it might be the next day it could be a few days later and and hope you're just hoping that at some point you'll catch catch you know one of them on public right and that was the case with that deer we we got a little bit of footage of him um you know and uh we we uh tried to locate him the next one we knew that there was a decent chance sometime while we were there he was going to be on that public okay because out there three quarters of a mile is a cakewalk to those deer i mean that's a five minute jaunt for them right i mean we 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 watched a buck one time that first season go five and a half miles without stopping Uh, he got kicked out by pheasant hunters and uh he went five and a half miles um so uh they, they cover ground Right. And so let's go on a tangent yeah, was, on that. How did you get the visual on that to see it go five miles? What was your perspective? We we had seen him about a mile away while we were chasing, going after this other big buck. And we thought that he went into this little sliver of trees that, uh, that was right next to some public. It was about, well, it led right to the public, but where we figured he was was about 200 yards from the public and it was opening day of pheasant hunting. And so we staked that out from a high point with the car. And, and waited, and it took about an hour, and some pheasant hunters came in there and flushed him out. And unfortunately, uh, being our first year hunting there, we didn't know these deer covered ground like that. Right. And uh, and so he blew blew through the public into a two mile by two mile section, which we thought, okay, it's it's, it's pretty much all private, but uh, way across two miles on the other side was a couple strips of public that we hadn't driven by yet we thought well let's drive around the square and see what they look like we drive around the square by that point you know we thought well it's over with that buck at least for that day well here he comes running out right in front of our car he blew right through that two mile section Hmm. well then we got to a high spot and watched him and he just kept going and he finally uh he finally uh uh, we we relocated once we lost visual on him to another high point and picked him up again and he finally stopped in a little old building site or whatever which was private yep. um but uh but yeah they they covered ground wow That's so crazy. um what time of year are, yeah. you, are you out here after after the whitetail we're, we're discussing usually about the uh usually i i had out there about november 7th 8th which you, you usually have to deal with some pheasant hunters about that time okay and uh and whatnot. So about the second week in November, okay. if it, you know, is is probably about more I, second I, and third, probably the the best weeks to be there, in my opinion. Gotcha. From my experience, I got to ask a quick question: What kind of unit are yeah. you driving these days? Last time we talked to you, you had the old shag and wagon van. Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> well, well, that uh, that that's that's at a scrapyard now, um, but <laughs> but uh, yeah, the motor went on that. But we gotta we gotta trusty grand caravan we've been rolling in so oh, yeah a grand um, caravan all right yeah yeah it's it's you know it's it's nice and reliable and fuel efficient and it's roomy it's not quite as you know nice as the old 88 econoline conversion van i mean that that was comfortable but how, uh, many, uh, how many bucks can you get on the new unit on the top of it 
on on the on the minivan. Oh, you could you could probably get. Oh, I bet if you really tried, you could get three of them up there. <laughs> That's perfect. So, uh, yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. All right. So you're out there in November, and yep. you've uh, you've got a, a visual at one point mm-hmm. on this deer, and he is what three quarters of a mile away from any yeah. kind of public land. From any kind of public. So basically, you know, sometimes in some situations, depending on what it is, you know, you might stake that deer out for half a day and watch him from a long ways away and just see, see what he does. But hmm. he was in a little tiny creek bottom of some trees and he had a doe and, and, uh, with that, a little activity of us spotting him by the road and stopping the car, you know, and the car was between him and the public. We knew that there was probably a very, very slim chance that he was going to head, you know, out of there and into the public that day. So, hmm. um, so we, you know, moved on to try to find, something else and uh you know keep it in the back of our head you know like hopefully we'll catch this this big deer out on on that piece of public or you know there's other public a couple three miles away you know maybe we'll catch him on one of those pieces but most likely we'll we'll if we do catch him he'll be out on this one that's that's close right. um and so it was a, you know it's just a mental note but you you don't want to put all your eggs in that basket you know and right. uh so the next the next morning we took a drive up that same road because you can kind of see the backside of that public from that road. And uh, I didn't get the, the camera on him in time, and it was really low light conditions, but we saw him again. And uh, he made a V-line across the road and back into the private. He wasn't on public. The private was on both sides of the road, but back further away from the public, he went back into this, this creek bottom. So we got another visual on him, you know, pretty much again, you know, yeah. He's probably not coming out of there for the day. Right. Um, so we moved on. Well, then, uh, you know, a few days goes by. We're on day five. We finally uh, we finally get an opportunity on a pretty good caliber deer, 150 class, so we go after him. That went south. And uh, and then uh, that night, uh, we uh, were glassing some different pieces, and this was about two and a half miles from where we had seen that giant. And I didn't know at the time, but I know it now. It was him, and he was right on the back edge of the public. He, he might have been on public. He was within 20 yards of it. It was just too hard to tell exactly from a half mile away. Okay. And it was flat, so there wasn't anything. He, he was close. And I, I, I'm pretty sure at one point he was on it. His doe was. I knew that. But um, we we made an effort to, to go after him. But by the time we got back there... He he wasn't there. There was kind of like a little rise right there, and and he must have went over it on on the private. But I knew it was a giant deer, and and uh, I, I know it was him. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, anyway, so we got another visual on a giant. You know, thought maybe it was that one, but anyways, but weren't sure. Next at, day, at that point, you were like, it might be. It's definitely a nice deer. We're going after it, no matter what. Yeah. Well, I, I yeah, I definitely knew it was at least a one eighty caliber tier okay i mean it was just i could see the tines they were tall they were darker yeah and uh i knew right away that it was a giant so next day comes um we get back on this 150 class deer and that went south again and uh and so uh let's see we were on the day seven not much happened on day seven and then uh day eight the morning in the morning 
you know, here again, we're driving all these gravel roads trying to get a visual on a okay. big buck. What's you know, it, on public? What is morale like in the you know when you head back to camp in the evening and you've you've pursued a couple of one fifties twice? You can't get on them. What's that feel like? I mean, are you are you, are you down and out at that point? Are you just like, hey, it's no big deal. It's part of hunting. Yeah, I mean, usually, you know, usually Shay is with me and he he keeps things pretty light. Um, and Chancey is the same way. I mean, he like he has a good time. Um, you know, we're both definitely getting frustrated about the situation because you know we we hadn't had a whole lot of good op- or good attempts at that point. You know, I mean, in seven days. You know, there was like a three-day stretch there where here we, we, we didn't get out of the vehicle, you know. And so it does start to, you know, you go through different periods. You, you uh, you know, you're frustrated and you're you're kind of down in the dumps and then you find something to just, you know, crack a joke or whatever it might be, you know. or or uh, And I think with this new video, you really sense that a little bit more. You see okay. the, you know making fun you know i mean we see a little spike buck and we're you know making jokes about it or whatever you know i mean you do anything to kind of get your spirits back lifted up just having a good time and gotcha and whatnot but you you, you're definitely frustrated at at the same time um and uh and by the end of the day you're pretty well wiped because you know you're getting up an hour before the sun comes up grabbing a little breakfast from the gas station and getting out and getting out in the vehicle and and you might you might eat sometime during the day but you might not eat for 12 hours and then when you do get back it's like man let's grab a bite to eat let's grab you know so we get a bite to eat well right. then it's like we got to recharge all these batteries dump all these footage files get everything ready to go the next day and pretty soon before you know it you know it's 10 11 o'clock at night and uh and you're getting back up the right. next morning to do it all over again. Right. Daylight's, so, day, daylight's um, right around the corner at that point. Right. Right. Man. All so. right. Yep. I, I, I get it. All right. So now you're, what, seven, six or seven days into this hunt? You're spending, yep. We're, we're, yep, we're seven days in. We're on day eight now okay. in the morning. And, uh, you know, we're driving around. We're not seeing. We haven't, we haven't seen. I don't think we had seen a big buck. Maybe we saw one, one right at sunup. But uh, I can't remember off the top of my head. You'd think after editing that video for all those hours, right. I'd remember. But, but you don't. All the days kind of come to, you know, get a little blurry then. But I do know this. I do know that we had driven up this gravel road three times, and it was about an hour. This was our third time driving up this road, and it was about an hour after sunup. And, and that happens out there. I mean, as open as it is, you can drive up a road and feel like you can see everything for the next mile and you can glass it and everything. And you could drive up that road 15, 20 minutes later and there's a big buck standing out there. And it's like, where did you come from? And that's exactly what happened. Mm. You know, we had been up that road twice that morning. You know, you can see everything within a half a mile and most of it you can see within a mile and a half. Um, and there he was, 150 yards off the road with a doe. Took off running, of course, right away. He was on private. I'm actually glad he was on private at the time because once they start running, a lot of times they don't slow down for a while, right. even if you don't park. And right. he ended up, we just kept the vehicle rolling, and he kept uh, he kept running. He, he ran out to probably six, 700 yards from the road, and we got, we got you know, a ways away from him, probably probably about a mile. Okay. And, uh, and then I got the spot and scope on him and realized, yep, that's that giant. And, uh, and, uh, they were on private. They were still probably, oh, pushing a half a mile from, from the public. Okay. But there was, uh, 
on the piece of private they were on, there was a little weedy draw where there were some taller weeds, you know, maybe maybe anywhere from waist high to, you know, just under your, your chest, okay. uh, high weeds. And, and it kind of went into a little bit of a low spot, not, not much of one, but just enough that they had put on the brakes and I felt like they weren't probably going to go anywhere, you know, too fast at that point. Okay. So we drove the vehicle uh, for a mile to get all the way on the other side of the public. And then we walked the public, the far public line in. So we're a mile from this deer right now. Okay. We walked that in a half mile. It's a 160 acre piece of walk in. So we walked that. So we walked that in the the back line, and then we 90 to come back towards him because okay. we could come we could come a half mile to him. And we then we we got right on the fence line basically about oh probably 20 30 yards from the fence line. Right. And there actually wasn't a fence there. There was just like kind of like what we talked about earlier. Sometimes there's a fence line. Sometimes there's just posts. In this case, there was just posts. There was no fence, um, which makes it easy for deer to cross or whatever. But um, then we just sat there, and it was all up to fate at that point whether he was going right. to, uh, him and his doe were going to come our way or not. What? And we, from what? the time we spotted him to the time he came was eight hours. Okay. And what time of day is this now when you've it, hoofed it in 160 acres? It was about... Yeah, it was about 8 a.m. when we spotted him. It was about 4 p.m. when he finally crossed the line. Okay, so let's go on a, a just a little tangent here. What were you geared up with at that point? You, you're in a car, you spot him, you know the direction they might be heading. Um, what, are you, mm-hmm. what are you geared with? What, what, what are you wearing? What do you got for shoes? That kind of thing. Well, it's funny you should ask that because I never really, you know, I guess that never really got disclosed in the video, but, uh, or, you know, there was nothing about it, but it's, Actually, all we were wearing was spray painted clothes from Walmart. Um, <laughs> <laughs> true story. Uh, Chancy, who I was with, uh, he picked up a pair of khakis from Walmart for the, the two of us, and then he took like a it was like a thermal top, and he just kind of spray painted that and spray painted the pants a little bit, and uh, to to kind of you know make it look a little bit like blend in well out in that open grass. Um, you know, we've tried ghillie suits and stuff, but ghillie suits have, have a lot of issues in wide open areas unless you're laying flat to the ground because once you get the sun on the other side of you, it's really dark on the other side of a ghillie suit because all the bunches of material, you get all these like little hills and valleys, and so they, they end up being super dark um, on, on the one side. So we, we, we've tried a number of different things, and honestly, I think that's about the best thing that we've come up with at this point. If we spent some 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 time on it but here again it's one of those things that a lot of times we don't have a lot of time to 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 devote to that but uh but that seemed to work pretty good so that's what we're geared with and then we had the decoy that we made which uh which we had made changes to it since the first year when when it didn't work real well and and so basically in that wide open stuff like while this deer even though this deer is way out there we can see him out there and so we were, we kind of used that decoy to shield us, you know, while we got to, you know, while we made our, you know, move to get close to the fence line. Okay. Gotcha. So you got some spray painted khakis. You didn't care about the, the spray paint and the smell and all that point? No, no. And, and I think, you know, I think by that point, most of that was gone, but it's one of those deals where, especially out there in, in, in Kansas, where you know, generally the wind blows pretty straight line. You don't get okay. a lot of variance, you know. So, you know, they've got a pretty small range where they have to be, 
you know, directly downwind in order for them to smell it. And usually we can manipulate that pretty well. In this, right. in this case, in this case, we had to kind of predict where they would cross the line and try and set up downwind of that. Usually we've already got a deer spotted on public. And so we can just kind of manipulate what side we're going to come at them from. And so usually that's not an issue. What I have found is spray painted or not with two guys out there as much as we're in and out of vehicles and moving around and stuff they're they're probably going to smell you either way whether it's spray paint or your regular body gotcha. odor so gotcha all right so you're working and playing the wind as best you can in order to yep. make this happen and yep. um is uh is a silent approach in, in your your bag of tricks is it something you have to really focus on as far as noise control not- yeah, usually not out there. Usually you've got a decent amount of wind out there. Okay. So usually that's not an issue. It definitely wasn't an issue with this deer because he was still so far onto the private. Um, in this case, this was really short grass where where we set up. Um, in fact, it was probably, I mean, <laughs> uh, eight inches tall at the tallest point. Um, so you could, you could probably just about see the deer's hooves. Um, but fortunately several years ago somebody must have did some round bales or something and there happened to be a round bale right there and and it was really run down but once we got to it we kind of propped it up and fluffed it a little bit and made just enough cover to where you know we knew that there was still a pretty good chance that once they crossed the line they would have us pegged which here again that kind of comes back to you know i'm glad i had a longbow in that situation um because I, I knew that there's a pretty good chance they'd have us pegged. Um, and, you know, it, you know, it, it's hard to say that, you know, you might've been able to get that deer with a compound, but the deer, the doe had us pegged before he did. Uh, when they crossed the line, the doe stayed out about 40, 50 yards. And she kind of did this half circle around us, staying about 40, 50 yards away. Mm. Okay. And she ended up, he dropped into this tiny little ditch. It's flat out there, but there was like a, there was like a hole, like a water run ditch. And it wasn't very big. It was, you know, maybe only a few yards wide by 30 yards long and about four or five feet deep. And for whatever reason, he dropped into that. Okay. And uh, I thought the ditch kept going for ways further. And yeah. so knowing that the doe had made it by us and she was out about 40, 50 yards, I thought, well, my only chance of, uh, to get a shot at this deer is going to be for me to grab this decoy. And while he's in the ditch, he can't see me with right. the decoy. And the doe doesn't have us pegged yet. So I was like, if I just take this decoy, if I move five yards towards her and he comes out of that ditch, he's going to come right over to me right away. Right. Is, was my thought. Right. Well, this doe had been facing away, looking away for the last, you know, few minutes. And I made a rookie mistake and I took my eyes off her when I moved. And that's mm. never a good thing. You should always... You should always, you know, look where you're going to go and then put your eyes back on them and then make your movement while you're looking at them. So that way, if they, you know, do anything, you know, like look towards you, you can just freeze. Well, I, I didn't. I just, oh, she's been looking that way the whole time and kind of in a panic. I reached to grab that thing and she, she picked us off. Okay. Well, then she's frozen, locked onto us. And it was probably about 10 seconds later, he popped his head out of that ditch and he, he knew right away. What, what's she, what's she, what's going on with her? Why, yeah, she, why she all defensive stance? Exactly. And he probably paused for, I don't know, 15, 20 seconds. And then he comes up out of that ditch and right away he starts kind of heading England towards us. 
and he actually uh, grunted several times in there. Hmm. And I think, I think he read her reaction wrong, and I think he thought that there was maybe another buck that he couldn't see on the other side of that propped-up round bale. Gotcha. And uh, I think he was he was coming to head it off. Well, then he got to about 20 yards, and I had a small clump that I'd moved out, out on that side to, to give us a little bit of cover. It was about two feet high, this clump. Um, but he got to about 20 yards, and now I couldn't see him. Uh, I, I had to wait for him to come past. And, uh, well, of course, you know, he picked off uh, Chansey, who was fully exposed at that point. He had the back of the round bale, but from the front side, you could see him playing his day and he picked he picked chancy off but i didn't know that at the time because i had that little clump in front of me right and uh he didn't come out the other side and i knew right away i was like he's got a stag and uh you know it was like do i do i you know at that point it's like okay do i come up over the top in a fast motion draw and shoot all in one on right motion or do i just you know wait and i i thought you know what he's got his doe there he's gonna come he might be on a trot when he does it but i think i'll be better suited to do it that just wait and and so that's what i did and and the first instance i saw of him was us he was he was staring right at us and and he turned his head and started to take off on a trot hmm. uh and and that was it was now or never and uh he was about 15 yards out not that far yeah and uh, I draw a shot, and I I uh, I didn't make a good shot. So <laughs> okay. um, when I was editing the footage, I I kind of r- realized what what happened there because um, I slowed the footage down and went frame by frame. And I was on the deer, I think, right where I needed to be. And I think at the last second, well, you can see it in the slow motion shot. Um, but uh, I pulled the bow ahead and i think i thought he was going to pick up speed but at the same time i dropped my bow arm which wasn't a good thing Mm. and uh but you know honestly i think that's just the way it was meant to unfold and uh because of it we were able to document a a really bizarre storyline um you know if i'd have aced that shot it would have been cool or whatever but it wouldn't have built near the story it ended up building so basically that arrow hit his front leg right at about the kneecap as he was trotting and uh i noticed right away it had a he had a limp to it and i I wasn't 100 percent sure i broke his leg but i thought i thought it had because it was gimped yeah and so as he was trotting i grabbed another arrow and he was probably about 60 yards out and at that point, you know, I thought I thought his leg was probably broke, but I sent another arrow and and I just barely missed him. And uh, now he's uh, headed back onto the private, okay. and uh, he's still following his doe. And uh, we watched him go over the rise several hundred yards away, probably six seven hundred yards away. And we knew that there was a small woodlot about a mile mile and a quarter in that direction. And we knew that there was a pretty good chance he was going to head over there. Now it was private. You know, and at this point, you know, you're you're like, man, how did I screw up that shot so bad? And you're running all this through your head, and you're you're like, okay, forget about what happened. We just got to figure out, you know, how we can maybe go after this deer. Right. You know, we're gonna have to go talk talk and get permission. Now, Kansas law is if you have blood, you can you can cross. You can leave your weapon behind, cross, and go get the deer. But we 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 don't have any blood. We know that. So it's gonna come down to you know tracking down the landowner. Well, it had rained the day before, yeah. and so we knew 
that road over there was a dirt road, and we knew that we could probably figure out where he crossed that road. We couldn't see it from where we were at, but gotcha. But we figured, well, let's drive around there. Let's see if we can figure out, you know, where he crossed the road, and from that, we should be able to determine where he went, and then maybe we can get permission. So we drive around there. We get on this this. It's more or less a dirt mud road. It's not a gravel road, and in fact, Chancey had to get out and push the vehicle, and I mean, we were getting oh, wow. a little bit stuck or whatever, yeah. but. But uh, uh, Chancey ended up finding the buck's track while he was out of the van. And uh, we could see, or he could see, that it was headed right into those trees that we thought he had maybe went into that were, that now they're about a few hundred yards from us. So uh, in the meantime, while he was pushing on the van, I noticed this truck had pulled up the road and he had stopped. And he was, you know, I think what he was thinking was, what are they got them guys doing? Are they up to no good or, or what? Well, then it pulled into this little woodlot where this deer went and, uh, or where we were pretty sure that that was his track going to. And uh, so Chancey jumped in the vehicle and I said, I said, uh, well, let's pull up here and see if we can talk to this guy. And, and uh, as we were pulling up the, the, the dirt road, the buck runs out of the woods right in front of us and <laughs> is running. Now he's running down that dirt road. And now he heads into another piece of private. And right behind him was the truck, actually. Um, really? <laughs> it was kind of funny because, because, well, not funny, but I mean, it was kind of bizarre because we're pulling up the road. This buck comes running out of the woods and there's the truck right behind him. Well, then the truck had to wait for us. Cause we were like literally right behind the deer. And, and then, uh, while he went into this piece of private, I stopped the vehicle, got out and talked to this, this fella. And, uh, he had seen that the deer had the broken leg, which by that point we knew, you know, the, the leg was broke after I made that second shot and right. glassed him. Right. You know, you could see that it was, it was definitely broke. And, yeah. And, uh, so I talked to this fella and, uh, explained the whole thing to him and he was really cool. And he said, you know, however many days you're here, if you feel like he's on my land, you can search it. And, and, uh, so that was a relief. And he had actually contacted, all right, he had already contacted the other landowner where the deer had went. Mm. I guess when he saw our vehicle on the road, he thought it looked a little suspicious, you know, when when we were out on that road. And so he made contact with the other landowner. So he was already headed over that way. So when he showed up, he was a little bit more apprehensive. And I I don't think we'd ever gotten permission had this this other fellow not seen the deer and and everything. I, I don't think we'd ever gotten permission to go in there. He ended up being a really nice guy. Um... And, uh, yeah, he, he gave us permission to go in. Well, now we've only got, you know, a half hour light left and it's like, you know, okay, we know we have a non-vital hit on this deer. You know, the, the general rule of thumb is typically when in doubt back out, you know, I right. think that that only applies to certain situations. If you've got a, a, a vital hit, uh, then that's definitely a lot of times a, a good play. But when you have a non-vital hit and you, you have a beat on the deer's location and you know it's going to take a follow-up shot, well, then oftentimes it's better to be aggressive. In this case, um, because we didn't have much light left, you know, in hindsight, we, we probably should have let him go till the next day, but we also didn't know whether this guy was going to let us go in there the next day. Right. Um, and so uh, we wanted to try to make hay while the sun shined and, and, uh, and try and try and get on yet that day. So that's what we did right as it was, uh, pretty much dark out. I mean, I seen the buck come out. He's about 150 yards from me, but I mean, it, it was, 
it was so dark I couldn't tell it was his rack. I could just tell from his gate that it was him. Yeah. And uh, there was nothing I could do. I, I couldn't pick him up with the naked eye. I, I picked him up with the binoculars. And uh, so he looped into, the buck looped into a different part of this, different half of the section. And by this point, this deer has gone uh, just over two and a half miles since the initial shot. Wow. So he's covered a lot of ground. With a broken and, leg. Uh, with a broken leg. Yeah. And, um, so we got back out to the vehicle and the second landowner, uh, was waiting for us there. And, uh, here again, he was, he ended up being super nice at first. He was kind of apprehensive, but, but, uh, you know, he, he said, you know, if you want to go in there tomorrow, that's fine. And I was, that was a huge relief because we didn't know at that point if it was just kind of like, yeah, you can go look for him tonight. But after tonight, you know, we kind of felt like that was maybe the way it was going to fall, but he gave us permission going in the next day. And, and we're pretty positive about it. We, we knew that if we had enough daylight, we could probably figure out a way to, to get a follow-up shot on this deer. And we felt like he, with that leg and the amount of ground he covered, we felt like he'd probably be in the other part of that section because there were some trees and there was some water down in there. Thanks to Jared Scheffler for joining us on the Big Buck Rescue Deer Hunting Podcast as we played part one. And you're going to have to tune in next week to hear the finale and find out how Jared takes down this monster Kansas whitetail for good. And it's a stunning story. And to think that he actually arrowed the thing in the leg and it just ran everywhere. And we ended this show just as the sunlight goes down. And then we're going to pick up next week as the sun rises as Jared gets back on the trail of this big buck. And it's just so many twists and turns. It's unbelievable. So tune in next week for the, the finale of Jared Scheffler's Kansas Whitetail Hunt and uh, see what happens. It's a, it's, a, it's a hunt you don't want to miss, that's for sure. The, the finishing, the, the ending to the story. It's the, the ending is quite amazing. To be continued. To be continued. Dusty, do we have a Chubby Tines tip of the week this week? Yeah, we do, Jay. And, and it's, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, what's happening you know, pretty much launching off this week. And the Chubby Tines tip of the week is sponsored by Morse's Sporting Goods. Firearms, use firearms, bows, use bows. Located at 85 Kentucky Falls Road in Hillsborough, New Hampshire. Give Jim a call at 603-464-3444, morse'ssportinggoods.com. Your dollars go further in New Hampshire. There's no sales tax. Morse's Sporting Goods. You know, here in the Midwest, the, the crops are coming down and, uh, you know, with the, with the crops coming off the fields and the the deer are going to start utilizing a morning and evening breakfast and dinner uh, on the edges of these crop fields. You know, if you're somewhere that you, you don't have crops, it might be something you don't understand. But right now, my focal point is, you know, season opens today here in Ohio, the 24th. And uh, it, it's just that time of year where you can sit along a, a freshly cut cornfield or soybean field and these whitetail were... Or, they're naturally going to be out there grazing for missed corn or corn has fallen off the corn head or beans that's come out of the bean head or the back of the combine or maybe they spilled a pile of corn, turned in there too much in their hopper. But, you know, you focus on these field edges and it's something that, uh, you know, if you play the wind and, and you play the the fresh harvest, the, the deer curiosity really gets the best of them when it comes to freshly cut fields and it's something that's uh, been proven deadly for a great long time now that, that these deer are going naturally. You know, It's almost like they don't realize the corn's down and people can see them for the first week or so. So that uh, I, I'm going to focus on 
hunting the edge of freshly cut crops uh, for the first two weeks, and it seems to be a great focal point for me to to be able to kill a mature buck. It's a great tip. I'm going to follow your lead there. I'm going to do that as well as the corn starts to get cut here in, in New Hampshire. Actually, I found one field that had been completely cut, and so that's an indicator that the rest are soon to follow. So I'm going to follow your lead. Yeah, it don't, uh, don't work all season, but the uh, first couple of weeks here, kicking off season here in Ohio, it's really your success rate's really good on the edge of a freshly cut field. Man, it's uh, it's, it's been proven that uh, that theory works uh, really good first, first few weeks of season. Gotcha. Very nice. Well, thanks to Jared Scheffler for joining us on the Big Buck Podcast. Stay tuned for next week to the finale. It's a to-be-continued. You do not want to miss that. Thank you to USA Trail Camps for being the title sponsor on the show. Thank you to Scentlock Enforcer for joining the Big Buck Registry family. We're looking forward to working with those guys. And thank you to Morse's Sporting Goods for sponsoring the Chubby Tines Tip of the Week. Well, Dusty, this has been a fantastic show. I can't wait for next week because it's a great ending. And it's just, just awesome talking deer hunting. And you know what? Thank you to you, the person that pushed the play button. We can't thank you enough for tuning in once again. Yeah, absolutely, Jay. And, you know, it's a, it's a great honor that you join us uh, week after week, man. It's a, it really is a great honor for us, and we sure do appreciate everybody tuning in. Thanks for the downloads and the comments and the likes and on the social media. Man, it just, it's amazing what, uh, what, what this all has brought to the table, Jay, and we're appreciative of it, that's for sure. Very much so. So, Dusty, where can the listeners find you when you're not hanging out here on the mic? Shoot me an email, dusty at bigbuckregistry.com. I'll be glad to talk with you, and I try to respond to all emails and get back to you at, at, in a timely fashion. Uh, some days that don't work that way, but I, I sure try. I try real hard to uh, communicate with the people that has emailed me. Uh, you can also reach me on Instagram, at Chasing Antler, facebook.com forward slash chubby tines outdoors. Jay, where can the people reach out to you when you're not on the mic? Best place is to shoot me an email, j at bigbuckregistry.com. I do respond to all emails, so please send me an email if you have any comments or suggestions. And uh, you can always follow us on, on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash bigbuckregistry, Twitter at twitter.com forward slash bigbuckregistry. We're also on Instagram, instagram.com forward slash bigbuckregistry. You can find us on YouTube, and that's bigbuckregistry.com forward slash YouTube. So I think that's pretty much everywhere hanging out. If you'd like to have your buck featured on the Big Buck Registry Deer Hunting Facebook page, go to bigbuckregistry.com forward slash my buck, and all of the instructions will be right there for you about how to get it to us. And we don't put them all up there. Uh, We are somewhat selective, uh, but if uh, you could, the way you get on there is to send us a picture of you with your buck and give us your first name and the state of kill. And most likely it will appear upon our page in front of 250,000 diehard deer hunting fans. Pretty much no questions asked there. Follow us on iTunes, follow us on Stitcher, YouTube, iHeartRadio. Go to Google and type in Big Buck Registry and you'll find all the places that we're at. You can listen to our show on our Facebook page as well at BigBuckRegistry.com. Dusty, I think that's everywhere we are at. There's a whole lot of big buck, Jay. You know, thanks again to the to the folks and friends and like family to us for the downloads and man, it's it's just a great journey, Jay. Glad to be here. Likewise. I'm Jay Scott. And I'm Dusty Phillips. This is the Big Buck Registry Deer Hunting Podcast. We'll see you next week. Can't wait.